Welcome to Scary Savannah and Beyond. This is going to be episode number 40. Wow. This podcast is getting old. It's getting up there, baby. (laughs) 40 seems like it should be a number that should be celebrated for some reason. It does. So we're going to talk about something special in this episode. We are. We're going to continue talking about something we've already talked about, but with different content. Exactly. It's going to be amazing. It is. It's going to be skabooky. 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 It's going to be very skabooky. So you can find us online if you go to scarysavannahandbeyond.com. You can find us on all social media platforms by looking for the username at Scary Savannah. I would also like to ask all of our faithful listeners and viewers to help fuel the caffeination needs of my lovely blonde co-host by going to our website and looking for that little yellow icon in the bottom left hand of the screen and buying her a coffee. That would be much appreciated. So if you could please buy my lovely co-host a coffee, that would help support the podcast and also give her slightly more energy than she's showing right now. Sorry, I've been writing a script all day and all day yesterday. You do put in a tremendous amount of effort into these scripts. It's a lot of teamwork on my part. You do a tremendous amount of individual teamwork that you require no assistance from others on. I do. You're a team player. Yeah. Because there's no I in team. There isn't mine. But there is no we either. There ain't. So we mentioned previously that we love it when you guys leave us five-star reviews, and we've got two new ones that we'd like to call out here on the show. Yay, I love five stars. I do as well. So this one we got was from Kenna, and Kenna says, y'all, you know I can appreciate this already. Yeah, you are from the South somewhere. Y'all are awesome, funny and comforting, Southern charm, Brett and Crystal are really engaging and knowledgeable hosts, great historical research combined with lore and paranormal anecdotes for your favorite haunts of the South. Sending love from Houston, Texas. Yeah, that makes sense. It does, don't it? it? Does. I've been to Houston one time before. It's hot. It's hot. <laughs> you think it's hot here? It's hot in Houston, Texas. I went to NASA. Yeah. I mean, that's not I why I was that. there, but I did go there while I was there, and that was really cool. Yeah, I remember that. That was a long time ago. And the other review we got was from uh, the reviewer's name is Campbell976, and they said, I absolutely love this podcast. Brett and Crystal are such great hosts with wonderful personalities. My wife and I frequent Savannah as much as possible and love these fantastic stories. Please keep up the amazing work, Keith and Nicole. So thank you very much, Keith and Nicole. Yes, thanks, Keith, Nicole, and Kenna. And to Kenna. And if you could please go to our website, click on the tab that says Reviews, and go where it says to leave a review and leave a five-star review, and we'll read it on the air. We will. Because we love to hear it. Thanks so much for the kind words. Now, on this episode, we're going to be talking about our merchandise winner for the month of July, aren't we? We're going to do something really fun. we got something a little special coming up. There's little clues hidden around the room. Just little clues. But you have to tune in to the end of the episode. Around there is where we're going to go ahead and see who the winner. Yeah, we were going to do it at the beginning, but we said we're going to make them wait. It'll be fun for us. It's a game show. (laughs) It really is. And also, we would love to welcome our newest patron, and that would be Linda Hendricks. Yay. Thank you, Linda. Yeah, thank you, Linda. She's joined at the level where she can watch videos. She must really like your beautiful face, because <laughs> I think I would break the camera if she's looking at it. Or your cool hats. The hats are cool. Yeah. I will say that my hats are cool. Yeah. 
She's going to have a lot of new content that we're working on. Yes. I would also like to welcome our new patron, April J. Simpson. Thank you so much, April, for joining in with us on the patron exclusive site. Yes. Thank you, April. And speaking of Patreon, listen to the end because we tell you how to join up and you can get exclusive content. And we are working on quite a few things to Mm -hmm. go on Patreon, aren't we? We are. Very much extra content will be coming shortly. Mm -hmm. So, Crystal, how have you been this week? I am great. I've got my coffee and my Red Bull. And so the kids are going back to college soon, as you know. Uh, At least I told you that the other day. You probably forgot. April. April. August 10th. (laughs) Right. right? You were listening. So I've been busy getting ready for that. You wouldn't believe all the paperwork and hoops you have to jump through. Just to to get them out of the house. I know. Just to get rid of them. It's crazy. And I've actually got several days off work coming up. So we're going to be focusing on creating the new content we were talking about. It's going to be a bunch of not just extra episodes, which there will be, mm-hmm. but it's also going to be different kinds of things that we're bringing. Yeah, too. we've been brainstorming and we've come up with some really fun ideas. We think the listeners are really going to be intro, so make sure you join our Patreon so you can have access. It's going to be really cool. And speaking of content, this week we're going to talk about more cursed movies. This is part two of our series of cursed films. Yay! Yay! While researching, I found so many supposedly cursed movies that this will end up probably being four or even five episodes. That's very interesting because I had no idea there were that many movies that were cursed. I had no idea either. Like I've, of course, heard of Poltergeist and The Crow and some others, but I really hadn't. Like there's at least 30 I knew about The Crow just because I was really into The Crow in high school, like I said in that episode, but it's... uh, you know, I thought that maybe there was just a handful, That's what I but thought. I saw that list you showed me and I was yeah. like, wow. Yeah, and I still added more after that. So I'm going to mix in some that you've definitely heard of and some more obscure ones that you've probably never heard of. So watch them at your own risk. Do the curses carry over? Some of them, not on the ones I'm talking about tonight, but there is one that so they- curses that, the viewers. Right. There's one that I saw that it says they warn you not to watch it. It's that bad. You know, it's a foreign film. Watch it. It's a foreign film. So, first up is the 2012 horror film, The Possession. Ooh, that just sounds like it would be cursed just based on the name alone. It does. The movie was directed by Ole Bornadal and based on the supposedly. Hey, say no more. Ole. <laughs> Ole. Okay. And based on the supposedly true story of a family who was plagued by problems after bringing home a cursed object known as a Dybbuk box. Now, where have I heard that term before? Yeah, we'll talk about that. Actor Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who played John Winchester in the TV show Supernatural, and most famously, Negan on The Walking Dead, said weird things happened during filming, including the explosion of lights mid-scene, as well as cold winds blowing through closed sets, And he said these things always happen when they were filming key scenes. The prop storage building also mysteriously caught fire. And after investigation, there were no signs of arson or electrical malfunction. The prop Dybbuk box was destroyed in the fire. Mm. They didn't use the actual Dybbuk box in the movie, although the family that owned it at the time offered to let them use it. Maybe that's in their best interest. Director Sam Raimi was reportedly too spooked to have it on set. Other actors were against it as well, including Jeffrey Morgan. They had a mantra on set, don't mock the box. That seems like a going theme with most paranormal, actual Uh paranormal related things. 
Morgan said, I'm very skeptical, but not only would I not want the box around to tempt fate, but there were enough weird things going on around our set that I've never seen happen on sets before. So it probably was a good decision on their part. Because who knows what would have happened if they brought the actual box in. I imagine there'd probably been a few more fires, maybe some people levitating and such, and, you know, things of that nature. So what is a Dybbuk box? According to Jewish mythology, a Dybbuk is a restless, malicious spirit with the ability to haunt and even possess the living. It is sometimes believed to be attached to part of a deceased person's soul and helps them with unfinished business, not resting until it has accomplished its goal. The real mm. Dybbuk box is currently in possession. Like how I tied that in. Ha ha ha. pun much? <laughs> of Zach Bagans, who we've talked about many times, and resides at his haunted museum in Las Vegas. We actually got to go into the room where he keeps it under lock and key. He believes it's one of the most haunted items he owns. I would tell you more about it. It's a very interesting story, but we're going to save that for a later episode when we talk about cursed objects. So make sure to keep listening for our future episodes if you want to learn more about it. So what do you think? Do you think the movie was cursed or these were just coincidences? I think based on what I know about movies and my intricate and detailed knowledge of the production of said movies, Mm -hmm. that cold winds blowing through a set sounds like, you know, maybe somebody opened a door somewhere and they didn't know it. It was a closed set. They weren't allowed to open doors. Oh, that's what that means. Close set. Oh, it's definitely a ghost then. For okay. sure, 100%. Okay, 100 totally changed my mind about everything. Can you like stamp this with a cursed um, graphic? I don't know. We'll see. So next up, we're going to be talking about the Man of Steel, Superman. Nice. This so-called curse spans from the TV show in the 1950s through the movie franchise that followed. The actor who played Superman was George Reeves in The Adventures of Superman, and he died at 45 years of age in 1959. He had grown to resent his role of Superman as he found himself typecast, making it difficult to find work. Speculation still surrounds his death. Just days before his wedding, he was found dead in his bedroom with a gunshot wound to his head. Some say it was a suicide, while others claim it was a murder. Mm. It was reported that his fingerprints were not found on the gun. It remains a mystery to this day. Yeah, I remember we watched a movie, Hollywoodland. It was loosely based on his life. So that that seems a little weird. I mean, do you know more on the uh, alleged suicide slash potential murder here? Did they find anybody's fingerprints? I don't think there were any fingerprints on the gun. And there was like an argument. And I think he had been drinking. And I think his his wife-to-be and some other friends were in the house when it happened. So Mm. it's kind of like that Natalie Wood case. They've never been able to really sort it out. Well, suicide or murder is definitely tragic. 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 Christopher Reeve took on the role of Superman in Superman the Movie. From 1978, as well as the three sequels. I didn't even realize there were that many. Superman 4 is the worst movie of all time. Oh, okay. I'm glad Maybe I didn't watch it. Maybe not the worst movie of all time. I thought you said that was Super Mario definitely, Brothers. I was, I was about to say, it's okay. right up there with the Super Mario Brothers movie, which I have still not recovered from, and I've only seen it once. When I was a kid, I loved Super Mario Brothers, 
And when I saw that movie, it was like somebody just punched me in the gut. <laughs> it was the original movie that, you know how they talk about how DC wants to make everything dark and gritty, like yeah. the Batman and the Superman movies. Yeah. And Marvel makes everything more colorful and shiny and bright and happy and less depressing. Mm-hmm. They took Super Mario Brothers, took everything that makes it interesting and fun, and just beat it <laughs> and curb stomped it and then gave you that. I'm glad I missed that it one, was too. so bad. So I missed that and Superman 4. I don't about think I missed Superman 3 also. And this movie had Bob Hoskins in it. And I love Bob Hoskins in the movies I've seen him in, which include Who, Who Framed, Framed Roger, Roger Rabbit. Rabbit. And sadly... <laughs> <laughs> But back to Superman. Yeah. Sadly, Christopher Reeve was paralyzed from the neck down after being thrown from his horse in a cross-country riding event in 1995. And he passed away in 2004 due to heart failure related to his condition. His wife, Dana Reeve, died only two years later at age 44 of lung cancer despite having never been a smoker. Right. It said she never smoked a cigarette in her whole life. That's, that's a little unfortunate. That's a little odd. Yeah. Margot Kidder, who played Lois Lane in the movies, was involved in a serious car crash in 1990, leaving her unable to work and leading her to eventual bankruptcy. In 1996, she was found hiding in someone's garden in Los Angeles. She was dirty and confused, claiming someone was stalking her. She had cut off all of her hair with a razor blade. Mm. She was placed in psychiatric care, and she was diagnosed as suffering from manic depression. She lived in a state of paranoia and was homeless for a time. With treatment, she was able to get her life back on track for a while, Then, in 2002, she was in a car accident that resulted in a broken pelvis. Mm -hmm. And sadly, she also passed away in 2018 as the result of a drug and alcohol overdose. Another tragedy. Richard Pryor, who appeared in the film Superman 3, passed away from multiple sclerosis shortly after the release of the movie. Marlon Brando, who played Superman's father, went through his own personal turmoil when his son went on trial for shooting his sister's boyfriend. Despite testifying on his son's behalf, he was convicted. This haunted Marlon Brando for the rest of his life. Then, his daughter Cheyenne committed suicide in 1995. Lee Quigley, who played baby Cal-El, died at the young age of 14 due to solvent abuse. So what do you think, Crystal? This is a lot of stuff going on. It sounds like there might be something to this one being cursed. Yeah, this one could be a curse. I don't know if it's just Hollywood bad luck, getting into things they shouldn't get into, but obviously not with Christopher Reeve, but... yeah. That, that was just, just a freak a, accident, a, but and then his what wife else is died. a curse? Yeah, know? I don't know. I'm up in the air on this one. I'll call it half curse. I'm saying it's full-on, blown, 100% curse. Definitely. Just, that's so it's a getting lot a going stamp. on here. It's getting a curse stamp. It's getting a curse stamp. Okay. For me. Next up is The Passion of the Christ. Released in 2004, 
The Passion of the Christ is Mel Gibson's retelling of the story of Christ's final 12 hours of life. The $30 million Passion Project, like what I did there. <laughs> it's like you just can't stop yourself. I can't. It's like it's just too easy. It was a box office success grossing back the $30 million in just two days and ultimately grossing over $400 million. However, there were a number of incidents that occurred during filming. I had no idea that that movie made that kind of money. Yeah. No idea. Yeah. It was really popular. The actor, Jim Caviezel, who plays Jesus, suffered a number of injuries on set. The makeup they used to give him the appearance of a black eye messed with his depth perception, which caused extremely painful migraines. He got hypothermia and pneumonia from the extreme cold temperatures while filming scenes hanging on the cross. The temperature was 25 degrees with 30 knot winds. Well, we know how hard winds can make a cold situation even colder because living on a beach, it can be really hot. And as long as you've got these 14, 15 mile an hour winds, it feels nice. But on the flip side, in the winter out here when you're on the beach, and it may only be in the 50s or whatever, which doesn't sound that cold. But when you combine it with those fast winds, it Mm -hmm. feels like 30 degrees. So it was Italy in the winter, 25 degrees. And he was on a cross wearing very little clothing because, you know. Because of the role and what was happening to Jesus in, in the film. He also dislocated his shoulder while carrying the crucifix. It said that the cross weighed 150 pounds. That's wild. Yeah, and it fell on his shoulder and separated it. And this scene is actually in the movie. So I imagine it has a real look of anguish, which, you know, I assume is good for the film. But man, I feel sorry for the actor. Mm -hmm. He also had part of his flesh ripped off during the whipping scenes. This left a 14-inch scar on his back. If you know about... In the Gospels, where it talks about how Jesus was lashed with a cat of nine tails, I think is what it is. Mm -hmm. And if you see what those are and the way that they were whipped, it literally rended flesh from the body. It's like just tore the skin right off. So they were making realistic. They weren't trying to hit him on purpose. They had set it up to where he was off to the side and they were hitting something else trying instead. Trying to use like forced perspective yeah, to make it look like But the guy him. missed and actually hit him oh, no. twice. Mm. It happened. I wonder so, if he got hazard pay for this movie. No. Worst of all, he was struck by lightning while delivering the Sermon on the Mount. People reported seeing smoke rising from his head. Luckily, he was not seriously injured. I think if I was making this movie with the content that I'm talking about and granted... I'm assuming, because I've never actually seen this movie, that he's trying to do a faithful retelling of what the Bible accounts, Mm -hmm. I assume. But still, though, if I'm getting hit by lightning while I'm filming a movie about the Bible, might be thinking, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. The film's assistant director, Jan Michelini, was also struck by lightning twice on set. Okay, well, you know, they say a, lightning doesn't strike twice, but it I'll did three times. I'll tell you what, I know you've got more to say about this movie, but can we just go ahead and throw <laughs> up the stamp of approval? Because it's getting, it's getting mine. <laughs> but continue. John Debney, who wrote the score or the music, called the job the Relay most... You lay people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think everyone knows what a score is. We are educational, by the way. Edutainment. <laughs> He called this job the most difficult assignment of his life and claims he closely felt the presence of Satan in his studio while working on the film. Now, that could have been the drugs. I don't know. I'm just kidding. 
could have been the way. And we're not saying that he was on drugs. <laughs> well, She's it's, not saying it's Hollywood, that. people. It is Hollywood. The film's Kansas advertising sales manager, Peggy Scott, passed away after suffering a fatal heart attack during the film's brutal crucifixion scene. Mm, I don't know that I want to see this movie. He said it's really intense. Following the film's release, the lead actor, Jim Caviezel's career took a huge downturn. No one wanted to hire him. He was typecast. He was warned by Mel Gibson that if he took on the role of Jesus, he would never work in Hollywood again. He said that Mel offered him the role, and within the hour, he was already telling him, you know, you might not want to take it because you're never going to work again. It's going to ruin your career. And he said, we all have our cross to bear. So he really wanted to portray this character. He must have been uh, very dedicated to dedicated his craft, to his craft, or had a special connection with the, the subject matter. Yeah, Mel Gibson. We all know what happened to Mel Gibson. <laughs> Mel Gibson's career also suffered, as I'm sure you're well aware, and we all remember the drunk driving arrest and his anti-Semitic rant in 2006 that basically put him out of work. Also. Which is a shame that uh, he is that way because I really enjoyed his work on Maverick. And Lethal Weapon. Mostly Maverick. Yeah. Many people believed that all these misfortunes that occurred on set were God warning that he didn't want this film made. So what do you think? Curse or coincidence? Can we just rewind the podcast back about like five minutes and then you can get my answer there? So you're saying curse? Yeah, it's definitely curse. Interestingly enough, the sequel... The Resurrection of the Christ is in production currently and is set to be released in 2024. I did not know that. Jim Caviezel will reprise his role as Jesus, so we'll be checking in to see if anything happens this time during filming. So, Crystal, we've already reviewed my opinion on this movie twice before you even got to the end, but what is your thoughts on whether this is cursed or not? I would definitely call it cursed if people are getting struck by lightning because they say it's only like one in 240,000 people get struck by lightning. That's a statistic that something. I say to people all the time. Every <laughs> time I see them, they say, did you know? It's very rare. It's one in 240,000 chance like that. that lightning is going to hit you in this bar. It's, it's really rare. What's the chance of it doing it twice? What about three times? Three times yeah. is the charm. And then, you know, you're getting pneumonia. He had he got like a lung infection. He was just, mm. yeah. Or on the flip side, maybe the curse is that they didn't want that movie being made some evil forces. I don't know. I mean, yeah. maybe it's not that the they're like, trying to say don't make it. Not that God was it. against it. Maybe, maybe it was the demons were against it. The demons were against it. Yeah, I don't know. Knows? I haven't seen the movie. I don't know the content. But um, something was at work. Yeah, something was happening. Okay, so this is going to bring us to our next movie, which is going to fall a little bit in line with my attire, and mm-hmm. that would be the Dark Knight trilogy. You didn't even know you were dressed for the occasion. I didn't know. Where is she? <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. I was going to do that, and it may actually be something I say more than once. But <laughs> the 2008 installment and writer-director Christopher Nolan's contributions to the Batman cinematic universe was praised by critics, but was also plagued by a series of unfortunate events and tragedies. I think that's a movie, too. Mm -hmm. Technician Conway Wycliffe died during production when a truck he was riding in struck a tree during a test of the Batmobile. That is unfortunate. Mm -hmm. Morgan Freeman, 
Morgan Freeman. I knew you had to say it that Who way. played Lucius Fox was involved in a serious car accident. Christian Bale was arrested on the eve of the Dark Knight's UK premiere for allegedly assaulting his mother and sister. I didn't know that. Actor Heath Ledger, who played the role of the Joker, brilliantly, I might add, one of the best villains ever Mm -hmm. in any movie ever, Mm -hmm. died of an overdose before the movie even premiered. He had locked himself in his apartment, trying to get himself into the mindset of the character, even keeping a journal of his thoughts. He was warned by fellow actor Jack Nicholson, who had played the Joker character back in 1989, that taking sleeping pills, as Ledger was only sleeping two hours a night, was dangerous. Nicholson had had previous bad experience with those same pills. I'm not sure what it was, but they say it was probably Ambien. But um, yeah, he had had a previous experience with that. He said that someone told him, just take this, you'll be fine. And then he went, he took it and went to sleep. And then he got a call in the middle of the night. Someone, there was something going on. He needed to go somewhere. And he nearly crashed his car because... When you're on Ambien, sometimes it can affect your... I know when you've taken it, you are in another universe. Yeah, and like you can drive a car and not even realize it. And so... Which, of course, you didn't do. But he did because he didn't yeah. realize he was being affected. You, you wouldn't know what you're doing sometimes. So so he had warned him previously about that. So One outlandish claim was made by a renowned exorcism expert, Bob Larson. Didn't we read one of his books before? Bob Larson. Doesn't that sound familiar? Bob Larson. Yeah, Bob, Bob Larson. Larson. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Bob Larson. You know, no, that renowned exorcism you know, that guy, expert. You know, we've got two or three of his books up here, I think. <laughs> Probably. He claimed that Ledger was possessed by a demon while playing the role of the Joker. Yeah, I think he was just out in left field. I don't know. I did read about this before, and he was like character actor and right into it, and he was living this character, which Mm -hmm. if you have not seen the movie with Heath Ledger in it, it's a great movie, but he plays the role so well that you believe that that man is the Joker. Yeah, Yeah, he did a great job. It's unfortunate. It is. One last blemish on the highly successful franchise was in 2012. During a screening of the sequel, The Dark Knight Rises, a gunman opened fire on a Colorado movie audience, killing 12 people and injuring 50 others, which I remember that happening. I do too. I remember that day. That was uh, unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Tragic. It's very tragic, and it's just unheard of, you know, and uh, I just don't understand the mindset of people. But I guess people that do that kind of thing don't think like me and you would. Unfortunately. So what do you think about this? Uh, I'm going to find out from you. Do you think that the series as a whole is cursed, or do you think there is no curse and it's just coincidence? I think these are more coincidences. Yeah. I mean, I think the whole Heath Ledger thing is what people are using to really sell that it's a curse. Yeah. If you took that out, those other things are just, you know, car accidents happen. They do. You know, and especially the one with the stuntman or whatever, you know, that's a dangerous job. Stunt people get hurt 
and even die mm-hmm. semi-regularly, I believe. Yeah, so I, I'm saying this one's a coincidence. Okay, so you heard it here, folks. This one's chalked up to coincidence. Okay, next we're going to talk about the 1995 film Waterworld. Starring, I saw this in theaters. Starring Kevin Costner. How unfortunate for you. Just let me say up front that the runtime on this movie is two hours and 57 minutes, which already makes it a nightmare in my book. Yeah. Do you know what it features? What do you mean? Nothing but water. Oh, I know. There is no landscape. Oh, I know about it. It's literally water. The plot, according to IMDb, says, In a future where polar ice caps have melted and Earth is almost entirely submerged, a mutated mariner fights starvation, an outlaw, smokers, and reluctantly helps a woman and a young girl try to find dry land. This sounds terrible. It was actually really bad. This sounds like something I would definitely never watch, and it's unfortunate that you had to suffer through it. I I wanted to see it. The original until I saw it. <laughs> until you saw it. The original budget for the film was $5 million, but it ended up costing a whopping $200 million. Sounds yeah, like someone it, in accounting needs to be fired. It was one of the biggest Hollywood bombs in history. Not I'm the well biggest. Aware. Not the biggest, but one of the, might be the second biggest, I think. Waterworld was a production disaster and was a bomb at the box office, bringing in only $88 million. That is, somebody got fired somewhere or something. Yeah. Largely due to the input of several big parties like Universal and Kevin Costner. <laughs> the script. He's a big party. <laughs> yeah, he was. He's a real big party. He was in I this case. I him in Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. Not so much in Waterworld. The script ended up undergoing 36 different drafts. And this involved six different writers. Original writer Peter Rader had already written seven drafts before he was replaced. And the script was constantly being rewritten during filming. Director Joss Whedon was eventually brought in for the final rewrites, which he described as seven weeks of hell. But I noticed you left off on the script that they say eventually they moved away from scripts to just writing stuff on napkins with crayons. Basically. I don't know if it actually happened that way, but if you've seen the movie, you sort of know what I mean. (laughs) Two of the actresses, Jean Triplehorn and Tina Majorino, nearly drowned on their first day of filming when the trimaran they were on sank and drug them behind it. First day of filming. All right, cut, wrap, we're done, print. (laughs) Filming was shut down three times due to hurricane alerts. Another major problem during the shoot was that the cast and crew were constantly seasick because it was entirely filmed on water. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Kevin Costner nearly died when he got caught in a squall while tied to the mast of his trimaran. The ship was rocking dangerously and the crew had to navigate it to calmer waters before they could attempt to get Costner safely down the mast. Just just stay right where you are. Don't try to move. (laughs) We're going to get you to safety. The stunt coordinator, Norman Howell, got hit with decompression sickness during filming of an underwater scene and was rushed to the hospital in Honolulu by a helicopter. Mm, yeah, so this not was, by a trimaran or well, a catamaran. Well, they're in Hawaii, so they had to get a helicopter. Kevin Costner's stunt double was washed out to sea and several extras nearly drowned. Just washed out to sea. I assume and they then, saved him. And then he's, as he's floating away, he's like, oh, wait, 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 no, no, quick, That's quick, just quick, quick. Oh, wait, wait, that ain't Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> Who is that? I don't have his name, sir. Well, I guess we'll just have to deal with it. Many of the actors were stung by jellyfish, with one of the actresses being stung three times. Suck it up, buttercup. Like, if I got stung once, I'm out. I'm not hanging around jellyfish. You're 
not in the ocean, period, really. No, I'm watching it from the distance. So what do you think, curse or coincidences? I think that this movie is probably not cursed. I just think it was a bad movie that bombed in the box office because of its badness. <laughs> and I remember, I don't even know why. I was excited when it was coming out. I wanted to see it. And then I sat in the movie theater and I was like, did you stay for the whole two hours and 57 minutes? I've only ever left a movie once in my entire life, and you were with me when I did it. What did we leave? Transformers 2. I didn't think we actually left. I wanted to no, leave. No, we did leave. Did we? We left it in was that terrible. movie. It was the... Was it two or three? It was two. Oh. Believe okay. me, I remember. It was two. The we didn't watch the good. third one. The first one was pretty good. Mm-hmm. I've been told the later ones got better, but we've just never gone back to check. But based on my estimation of what she said here and also what I know of the movie, I'm going to say I'm just going to chalk it up to being a bad movie. So there is no curse. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd classify it as curse. I would just call it a disaster. That's accurate. I think it's one of those things that probably sounded good on paper, but then it spiraled into a $200 million nightmare. So in that way, it is scary. It was scary to the shareholders of the company. I'm sure they (laughs) considered it a curse. So next up will be the Twilight Zone movie. Can you do the little sound effect? The Twilight Zone, the movie, was a 1983 sci-fi horror anthology film based on the classic TV show that ran from 1959 until 1963 and was hosted by the legendary Rod Serling. He was awesome. Steven Spielberg was tasked with bringing the classic show to the big screen. He chose director John Landis to oversee one of the four stories based on the original show. In the story, actor Vic Morrow plays a bigoted man who is sent back in time to experience hardships such as a Nazi Germany, the KKK, and in the final segment, he is sent to Vietnam, where he has to protect two Vietnamese children from American troops. He utters the ironic line, I swear to God, I will protect you. On the last day of shooting, the scene calls for Vic Morrow to carry the two children across a river with a helicopter flying low overhead. There were explosions which caused the helicopter to crash into the actors, crushing one child and decapitating Vic Morrow and the other child. That's terrible. That is... I've heard that before, and mm-hmm. there's actually test footage, yeah, I believe. you can see it online still. Yeah, I, I don't know why anyone would want to, but it exists. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the Screen Actors Guild had strict rules regarding child actors. They weren't allowed to film late at night or be put into dangerous situations, such as having a real helicopter mm-hmm. fly directly over them or being in close proximity to explosives. Sounds like good rules to me. Uh, Makes a little bit of sense, don't Mm -hmm. it? The team circumvented this by hiring two Vietnamese children and paying them as extras. Yeah, like children that act in the United States are protected by the Screen Actors Guild or something. So they're in a group and they're overseen by a group. So Mm. The children were Micah Din Lee and Renee Shin Yi Chin. 
excuse me if I butchered those pronunciations. I made the best attempt I, I could. Right. With filming taking place at 2.30 a.m. on July 23rd, 1982. The tragedy resulted in charges being brought against John Landis, associate producer George Folsey Jr., the production manager, helicopter pilot, and the explosive specialist. They were all tried and acquitted on charges of manslaughter in a nine-month trial that lasted from 1986 until 1987. Director-producer and co-director Steven Spielberg was so disgusted and outraged by the handling of the situation that he ended their friendship and publicly called for the termination of the new Hollywood era, where directors had almost complete control over their film. Following the tragedy, new procedures and safety standards were imposed in the movie industry. Now, I'm not sure if that alone qualifies this movie as cursed, but it is most certainly tragic which is a word we've unfortunately used multiple times in this episode. I am truly surprised that no one was held accountable when they very clearly violated multiple levels of not just safety protocols, but common sense. Yeah, you should never have children in dangerous situations like that. Yeah, I mean, if if a, an adult is willing to put themselves in a place of danger, that's yeah. one thing. Well, the but, parents testified that they were never told that their children would be put into danger. They... They were told, you know, it's you just know. safe. It's yeah. just Hollywood. Yeah. It's special effects. Yeah. No dangers they here. They had no idea. So tell me. So they were sitting there watching it happen. Can you imagine? I it's cannot just even begin to imagine. So tell me, Crystal, how are you feeling about this movie? Do you, so you think it's not cursed and yeah, it's just I don't a think random it's cursed. tragedy? I think it is people being irresponsible negligent. and negligent for sure. They should have at least been held accountable for negligent homicide or something. And I, I will say that I've never, we've never been in a movie before, but in a weird way, we have somewhat of a connection to it because where we used to live on Tybee, they were filming a movie mm-hmm. directly across the street from our house. And the movie was called Galveston. Mm-hmm. And it even had, uh, I believe it was L. Fanning. And I literally worked from a home office and I'm sitting in my office there and my window looks down. They were filming it at a motel. Mm-hmm. So if you ever watch that movie and you see a motel scene, it was filmed at a little motel that's directly in front of where we used to live. And when they were filming it, you might even see our house behind it. I don't or know. Or see our cats or because our cats. they were constantly over there yeah. eating chicken wings. So they... That being said, since they were filming directly across from us, they had to put up all their production vehicles. And we were renting our house at the time. So the landlord, without consulting us, agreed to let them park some of these vehicles in our yard. They did take some off our rent for it. A very small portion, but they didn't even ask. They just said we needed to have one parking spot, which is all we needed at the time. But So we got to talk to some of these uh crew members that were working on the film out there. What was her name? Rowdy? Rowdy. And then there, there's one. No, it was Trouble. Trouble. It was Trouble. Trouble. And there was another guy that had a name. I don't know <laughs> there's but, another guy with a name. But, but the woman's name was Trouble. Where are we going with this? And we saw how quickly they try to throw things up, film stuff, get it tore down and go. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're, they're trying, they're under a time constraint, they're under a budget constraint. One of the people that I know actually has his girlfriend working on a movie set right now, 
And one of his main concerns is the safety because they're not taking proper safety measures due to something about it being unionized. I don't know exactly. So from hearing from him and these things, you can see that when these Sometimes they'll cut corners, especially when it comes to safety protocols in movies. So, yeah, that seems to happen quite often, actually. Yeah, as I guess, you know, time is money and money is time, and they try to do things, and safety takes longer than non safety. Yeah. I'm going to say on my end of this, I don't think this one's cursed. I just think it's just a random tragedy that should not have happened, but yet did. Yeah. So, So I was going to end the episode here, but I decided to do one more because this one is just wow. It's pretty wild. And I'm talking about the 1981 film called Roar. I've not heard of this one. You haven't. This one is right up there with the John Wayne movie, The Conqueror, that we talked about in our first installment of Cursed Films. You remember? In the sense that it's filmed in a nuclear test site. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this one's just as dangerous, but featured wild animals instead of nuclear fallout. Okay. With a budget of around $17 million, this picture has been described as the most expensive home movie ever made. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Oh, my. The movie was the brainchild of couple Noel Marshall and his wife, Tippi Hedren. They had been on safari in Africa when they came across an abandoned game warden's house that had been overtaken by lions. They thought this was great. So they go back home and Noel begins working on a script about wild animals. Because wild animals are just fun. Really, the premise of this movie, according to IMDb, is a naturalist living with big cats in East Africa expects a visit by his family of four from Chicago. A mix-up leaves him searching for his family, who have been left in the clutches of wild lions. And another one is ravening jungle beasts assemble in flocks to invade an otherwise quiet home, where they terrorize the visiting family. Of their keeper. Doesn't this just sound like an amazing concept for a movie? When I say it that way, it, it does. does. So writing a script takes a while, of course, because with such a great idea, there, lots has to, of cocaine. Yeah, <laughs> there has to be multiple rewrites. In the meantime, Noel and Tippy decide to start raising big cats in their home. How could this go wrong? With their children. That's how it goes wrong. Because you got to have stars for this movie, right? Oh, my goodness. When filming finally got underway, they gathered 132 lions, tigers, leopards, cougars, and jaguars. Some of them they raised. Some were from zoos or circuses, pet shops, private homes, animal control, etc. Just anywhere they could find a wild animal, they would scoop it up. So did they just like ride around in a big like cargo van? I think so. And they just stopped moving the door and it would just be full of wild cats. And they're like, Young's got any of them old Bengal tigers up in here you want them to get rid of? like how many wild animals are there? Apparently a lot in California. (laughs) 132, it seems. Togar, the main antagonist lion in the movie, had previously been owned by Anton LaVey, the founder of the Church of Satan. It really does. He kept Togar. They had a chapter in Savannah, didn't they? Yeah. He kept Togar in his house, which was in a very residential neighborhood in San Francisco. It's a less weird one here. It's in San Francisco. Yeah. They also cast a 10,000-pound bull elephant named Timbo. How could this go wrong, you ask? I don't see any potential path of disaster here. (laughs) This movie was very much a family affair with three of Noel's son being involved, as well as Tippy's daughter, Melanie Griffith, who was a teenager at the time. She went on to be a very famous actress, despite starring in this fiasco of a film. I was say, uh, that name sounds familiar to me, but I have no idea who that is. We'll just say that I believe you. She's married to Don Johnson. I know that name, 
but I don't know who he is. Melanie's face was mauled by one of the big cats resulting in reconstructive surgery. She nearly lost an eye. Luckily, she survived, and so did her eye and her career. I'm about to say, if she almost lost an eye, it seems like there would have been scars and stuff. And they did a really actress. good job oh, reconstructing the her best face. Money. Well, you know, they had a $17 million budget. Surely they didn't spend $17 million on a home movie with 132 cats they picked up on the side of the road. They did. Before <laughs> filming ever began, Noel Marshall's son, John Marshall, was the first victim. He was attacked by a lion who clamped its jaw around his head. It took 25 minutes and six men to get the lion off of him. And it resulted in 56 stitches. It seems like that could have been a lot worse if your head is stuck inside a lion's mouth. Obviously, for 25 minutes. After this happened, they both said that, you know, this is maybe not the best idea. We're going to go ahead and, uh, you know, either call this off or get some stunt actors. They persevered. So, Noel was the lead male character. His wife, Tippy, was the main woman. Melanie was the daughter, and their sons played roles. So, like, they're all, like, the actors in this. So, these lions, being wild animals, totally wrecked havoc on the set of this movie. The cinematographer, Jean Demont, who went on to a very successful career, he actually did Die Hard and some other movies later on. Live long or die prosperous. (laughs) He was scalped by one of these cats. Oh, no. He had to get 120 stitches to reattach the skin to his head. And yet, he continued to work on this project. I really believe in this. That's what he said. (laughs) He did. Tippy Hedren was bitten on the back of the neck. She broke her leg and suffered scalp injuries when she was kicked off of the elephant. This is not getting times. better. Several times she fell off the elephant. She even developed gangrene and was like in the hospital for like a month. They're really committed to they this project. They were committed. Noel Marshall was attacked by the cats so many times that he also eventually developed gangrene. In one incident, he was clawed by a cheetah while protecting the animals during a bushfire in 1979. All the animals were evacuated but this still took several years for him to recover from all his injuries. The assistant director, Doran Kapoor, was attacked and mauled by a lion during production. He had his throat bitten open, his jaw was bitten, and one of the lions attempted to rip his ear off. He was also injured on his head, chest, and thigh. In 1978, a flood from a dam break killed many of the lions, washed away the set, and destroyed completed film footage. Sheriffs actually had to shoot three of the lions during this flood because they escaped. One of these lions was Robbie, the Lion King of the picture. Oh no, they got the Lion yeah, King. He was a unique ah, black mane. <laughs> he was a unique black maned Rhodesian lion. Those are the most impressive of all the lions that I don't know what they are. Yeah. In September 1979, the production was hit by a second natural disaster, a bushfire. All the animals were evacuated to safety, but Noel Marshall was once again injured. As you do. (laughs) All told, 70 members of the cast and crew were harmed by animals and hundreds of stitches were sewn. Roar took 11 years to finish and costs skyrocketed, forcing Noel and Tippy to sell their assets and mortgage their ranch to continue financing the picture. We really believe in this project. It was finally released in 1981, but not in the U.S. It was released in Europe, and it was so terrible that they didn't release it here. You mean the Europeans found it so bad that the Americans didn't even want to watch it? Right. 
It was finally released in the U.S. in 2015, and as you can imagine, it was still not successful. I don't know. Based on what you said about it, this sounds like the kind of thing that was probably so bad that it, might that be it good. developed a cult following. <laughs> the opening credits features this text. Since the choice was made to use untrained animals, and since for the most part they chose to do as they wished, it's only fair they share the writing and directing credits. Well, at least I give credit where credit is due. About a year after this movie was released into theaters in 1981, Tippi Hedren and Noel Marshall separated and divorced. Shocker. I thought you were going to say they were just randomly eaten by a Rhodesian <laughs> lion on the side so of the road. So they couldn't survive. They could survive the lions, like they're working but they couldn't. Pizza Hut, and they're like, just open the door and go, oh, no, a Rhodesian lion. <laughs> He's here to get revenge for Robbie. <laughs> so, so for this one, we're not going to do cursed or coincidence. This one is cursed or crazy. I'm just going to have to go with um, it's a difficult decision <laughs> to make here. I, I'm definitely not going to say that it's uh, cursed. Yeah, because if you invite 132 wild I'm not animals, say crazy because that would indicate that people didn't have any concept of what they're doing. I'm going to call this uh, maniacal. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we'll go with that. Maniacal. Yeah. So I just thought that I actually want to watch this movie because it's so crazy. It sounds like something that would make a good thing to have on you know maybe when you're you know accidentally ingested too many uh diesel truck fumes or something in traffic and you're a little lightheaded <laughs> and you're just like trying to calm down some after, of the tabby flower you know uh you know or that <laughs> and you're just trying to like settle yourself down after a long day at work and you're like what can i watch that well, will calm me down me and make me understand that humankind has yet to reach its full potential. <laughs> so that's going to bring us to the portion of our episode that we like to insert a graphic onto. What, what we're, we're watching. watching. So this week, we are going to go ahead and move forward and stick with the Netflix TV specials that we like to watch. And we were so enamored with season one last week that we went ahead and watched seasons we two. We and three. Yeah, we'll talk about three next week. We're going to talk about the 2017 horror slash, I guess you might call it a mystery, mm -hmm. maybe, whodunit TV series slasher season two. So, Crystal, you want to tell our listeners about this? You want me to do the synopsis? I'm going to let you do it. You never get to do it. Yeah, you just wanted me to do it because you don't remember what. <laughs> well, I remember. I don't remember the character names, but... Okay, so it's basically a group of friends that were at a summer camp. They were the counselors, and something happened to one of them. Don't know if I should say what. I wouldn't reveal it. Just say a traumatic, a traumatic event, event in their past. From their past, because then it goes five years later. Yeah. So they're going to go back to where the camp was in order to fix something. Try to uncover some secrets. Yeah. But now it's a, kind of a commune type place, like a, a wellness retreat. Wellness retreat. Thank hippie. <laughs> Whatever you want to call it. I don't know. Hippie is the word. New age. Yeah. Think new age. Yeah. So they go back there, and so it's winter and it's snow and very then, desolate. Yes, isolated. isolated. And then murders start happening. Who could have foreseen it? Yes, and so you spend six episodes guessing who it's going to be, and in the seventh one, they reveal it, and it has a really interesting twist. We together guessed 
who the killer was. We did. We didn't know, like, like in the first season, we didn't know exactly who it was. Mm-hmm. But we were like, this person is, I'm thinking this person is definitely one of the top two suspects. Mm-hmm. But when they get to that twist reveal, mm-hmm. I'm surprised you didn't see it coming. I kind of, like, I couldn't figure out how it was. But then, yeah, then it made sense once they actually tell you what happened. We can't really say any more than that. I know, like, I don't want to spoil it because I think, you know, people would enjoy it. Like we said on the first season, if you watch this, make sure to pay attention to all the small Mm -hmm. details. Watch everything. If you don't pay attention to the small details. Pay attention to each character and their interactions with others. Yeah. I'll give you that. another warning like we said about the first one, it's got some pretty graphic violence in it. Yeah. Very graphic. As this show goes forward, it just gets worse. Yeah. So if you have a weak stomach as far as that kind of thing goes, I would not recommend Sometimes this I'm show. Sometimes I'm doing this. Yeah, even she does that. I do. And she watches Dr. Pimple Popper, which I can't yeah, even look at. It's I know, so but it's not the nasty, same. It's disgusting. They and keep this coming is not up. Real. I know, but they come that up with some pretty real. gruesome ways to murder people. She's just popping pimples. Yeah, they do. It's like the writers from the show sit around and try to think what is the most <laughs> proof, graphically disturbing yeah. murder sequence I can show you yeah. and let's ramp that up by a yeah. hundred. Yeah, they keep topping it. And they and season three, oh my goodness, hi, yeah. we're, we're getting ready to watch season four and I'm like yeah. I don't even know how bad that's going to be. I don't know what, we're, what to expect with this it's one. It's going to be crazy. Mm-hmm. But I recommend it. Okay. So, so you, since you did the synopsis, okay. you get to ask me. So Brett, what would you give this arbitrarily chosen movie? <laughs> so, Brett, what would you give in dog treats on our arbitrarily chosen scale of dog treats? Okay. I don't know. <laughs> One to 12. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We're, this we're, is why I don't do this. This is not some, written down for me. We need some on the job training. Yeah. I enjoyed season two, honestly, more than I enjoyed season one. My watch thinks I'm working out, by the way. Nice. <laughs> Season one was good. When we started watching season two, uh, I didn't like it as much at first. Yeah. And it took several episodes before it really sort of hooks you in. And there are actually several different little twists they throw at you as it goes on, including the final big twist near the end that involves the actual killer. And when you find out who that person is... Then you'll be like, if you were calling it, I promise you, you probably weren't calling it like it actually yeah. happens. So uh, I was sort of calling it and I didn't. And I love it when a show switches up on me and I'm like shocked by a, not a graphic thing or a jump scare, but I'm shocked by, I didn't see that coming. And we binge watched this show. We literally stayed up till three in, in the morning. He wanted sometimes. to stay up till five and finish. And I'm like, uh, we both have to work. Yeah. <laughs> And so I'm going to have to give this show season two. I mean, there are parts of it I didn't like. Mm -hmm. There is some acting that's not that great. And I honestly don't care for the extreme graphic violence. Mm -hmm. I would rather do without that. But it's a slasher. Yeah, I mean, it's it's called called slasher. slasher. I mean, it's going to have that in it. So you just have to deal with it. So I'm personally just going to give it a 10 out of 12. Okay. Well, I'm also going to give it a 10 out of 12. You copycat. I already had that in my mind before you said it. See, this is why I wanted to go first. I could go for an 11 and just outdo you like you you do me. But do you feel like it deserves an 11? No, I still like season one better overall. Overall, yeah. The storyline. I like the killer 
the storyline of the killer better in the first one, but the storyline yeah. of all the people in the second season, I think, was better as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. So I really liked it. I didn't care for the extreme violence. Sometimes I was covering my eyes, yeah. but the story, I like a good story. And it was a good mystery story where you keep guessing or like we make our final guesses because you know they're going to reveal the killer in the seventh episode. Yeah. And then wrap it all up. At least that's what they've done in the first episode. And the they first did it in the uh, first season. And they did that in this season, too. And third season. And the third season. Yeah. So they reveal it. The There's eight episodes. The seventh one, they reveal the killer. And then everything wraps up for yeah. two episodes. Like, they, they show you the whole reason behind why they did it and where everyone ends up. So... Yeah, and I, I I can't wait to talk about season three. I think yeah. it was my favorite yeah. of yeah. all of yeah. them. But that will be for another episode. For next week. So stay tuned for that. That'll bring us to the portion of our show that we like to call Layla, Layla and, and Coffee, Coffee Talk. Talk. Once again, I'm going to let you take point, much in the way that Coffee would, and talk about what they've been doing. Well, I got an email this morning that their new Bark Box is on the way, so they'll be thrilled to hear oh, they that. They do love the Bark Box. They do. And you bought me a chewy ice maker for Christmas. and Because it's- I'm the best husband you are. Anybody's ever had. You are. And you know how much I love chewy ice. Extremely attractive, too. <laughs> yes. And I consume chewy ice all the time. And so I thought, the dogs like to eat it out of my hands all the time. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to give them a and bowl. eat it, you mean you pull it down and they lick it and get in their mouth and they drop it off and, and it falls like, on the floor. And-, and then they drop it. But so I'm like, I'm just going to give them a bowl of chewy ice. And Coffee thought that was really interesting. She has a lot of trouble keeping it in her mouth. Yeah. So it was really cute. I got a picture. And then you fed them a slice of pizza. A whole slice. Which well, it they was split in half, devoured but- in a split. Second, they didn't hit the floor before they cleaned the plate and then immediately ran back to Crystal because she had food or yeah. had had food. Yeah, I was eating dinner and so they ran to me for more food. And this is after they had eaten dinner. So. Makes no sense. Yeah, they're insatiable. These dogs are uncontrollable. Yeah. They need to be stopped before they hurt themselves or others. <laughs> All they're going to do is attack a piece of food. Yeah, they will tear up a piece of food like you would not believe. They're big on food and bark boxes. And just big. <laughs> and they're big. So you can find us online if you would like to go to scarysavannahandbeyond.com. You can find us on all social media platforms if you look for the username at Scary Savannah. Also, we would greatly appreciate it if you could help support the podcast by buying my lovely co-host a coffee or six. You can do that by going to our website and going to the bottom left-hand corner and clicking on that little yellow coffee cup And you can buy her one, two, three or more coffees Mm. and that'll help uh, not only fuel her caffeinated script writing frenzies, but it'll also help support the podcast because this ain't a cheap endeavor. It is not. It is not. And anything you can do to contribute would be appreciated. Okay, so as we had mentioned at the beginning of the episode, this being the episode that's the first of the month, we're going to go ahead and announce who is the July merchandise winner. And to do that, we've got a little something extra that we'd like to bring out. Crystal, since you're my lovely assistant, would you mind coming setting up the wheel right here in front of this camera? Okay, so the little surprise we had is this is the new way we're going to be selecting winners for the merchandise. So we have the Willow winners here, and you can see that there are multiple names on the wheel. These are the finalists that we pulled from a hat so that we can see who is the winner 
of the merchandise giveaway. So we're going to spin this here in a second. And now my lovely assistant is going to give the wheel a big spin. It looks like our winner is going to be Karen Smith. Yay! Congratulations, Karen. You have won the giveaway for this July's free merchandise giveaway. We will be contacting you to find out what it is you would like to get as far as a shirt or a coffee mug. And everyone else that came close, you are still eligible to win. Just enter again in the August giveaway. Uh, the only thing that keeps you from being able to play again is if you are a winner. So uh, appreciate everybody that came close and make sure to go ahead and enter for the next giveaway that we will have. And we also have a merchandise store. So if you can go to scarysavannahandbeyond.com, click on the store tab and it'll take you to a store where you will be able to purchase a great variety of things with our various logos on them. Shirts, hats, mugs. More hats. Things. Items. Stuff of great value, <laughs> you know, but not great pricing. Yeah. Huh? Well, Julian fries. <laughs> and also, as we mentioned earlier on the episode, we are heavily pushing Patreon content out. We're going to have a new episode that we'll have just released the Wednesday before this one that will feature some more of our cryptid series. We also have a bunch of different content that we're working on that we will be releasing soon that will be featuring things such as maybe some short videos, more regular updates. The Squares of Savannah. The Squares of Savannah, something we're going to do. We're going to give little insights and tidbits like, uh, have you ever been to Savannah and noticed that a lot of the doors on some of the houses are painted red. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a reason for that. Mm -hmm. And we talk about it on an episode of one of our short videos on Patreon that will also be out by the time this episode has released. So you can go to patreon.com forward slash scary Savannah, and then you can join for as little as $3 a month. There are various tier levels that will give you different rewards that's laid out there. And that would greatly help our podcast grow and help support us so that we would be able to pay for all the various services that we have to do. So Brett can buy more plugins. Well, they are important. Yeah. But it's not just plugins. I mean, we we need to have a lot of service. There's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that there happens is. with the with the making a podcast. You wouldn't believe it. Yeah, you wouldn't. <laughs> but anybody that could sign up for that would be greatly appreciated. If you could go and leave us a review, a five star review, yes, that would also stars, be please. great. As we mentioned earlier, any five star reviews we get, we'll read about it on air. So you know, everybody can hear how cool you are because you like such an amazing podcast with such cool people who not in any way are cursed yeah. uh, just because we're sitting in a haunted bedroom studio yeah, at are. the moment. You know? <laughs> so I believe that's going to leave just that one last thing. Join us next time in Savannah where the ghosts and the good times live on. But you know who don't? Waterworld and all the people in it. It definitely went down with the ship. It burned to it the ground. It burned though. to the ground. You like what I did there? It wasn't really a pun, but it was pretty good, right? You got to admit, I, I tried. <laughs>